RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. I've been looking forward to the opportunity, and I'm sure you've been looking forward to the opportunity as well of hearing or talking to, for me, hearing from him for you, the New Zealand First Leader Winston Peters after the announcement on Friday and us digesting it over the weekend, the new New Zealand Coalition Government sworn in yesterday. It's Tuesday morning now, and Winston, welcome to RCR. Thanks for coming back. Uh, thank you for having me on. And congratulations, actually. Thank you. How does it feel? <laughs> well, you know, it was a hard, hard slog and uh, for a long, long time, over a number of two years and a bit. And uh, then, of course, the uh, waiting around for the special votes and then very intense negotiations. So uh, it feels, well, relieved. Yep. You could say normal things. It's a privilege to do the job, but it was a slog. And I feel relieved that it's finished and we were able to get on with the job of governing the country. Like you've said, it's not the first rodeo. Is this the toughest one then? Yes, in a way it was because of the uh, impossibility of dealing with the mainstream media's cynicism in our comeback campaign. We were packing the halls and no media were there from the mainstream media. And as you know, the uh, only way we could do it was by continuing with the full halls and getting out and seeing all the New Zealanders to demonstrate to them, and I hope they've learned it now, that real politics is about people. It's not just about uh, hype and spin and propaganda. So that's quite, uh, what, remarkable that you're able to buck that disadvantage, let's call it, and still come through. Well, I'm still dealing with media who are absolutely flabbergasted. We've made it back. <laughs> and as I've said to them, if you had spent more time giving us a fair go on the way through, then we'd have got far more support. And please now accept that what we did was to go out and talk about real issues, and enough New Zealanders believed in them. And had we had the money that other political parties had, including the Greens and others, we'd have done far better. But in, in summation, it was uh, the work of a lot of people who worked uh, tirelessly to get us back, and we've got back, and now we've got uh, uh, a real say in government with commitments which are assigned for us to do, and we're setting about doing them as fast as possible. So you've got three New Zealand First Ministers in Cabinet and one outside. Who, who are they and what are they going to be doing? Well, we've got Shane Jones on things like infrastructure, social energy sort of development, uh, regional infrastructure, uh, social finance and other portfolios like that. You've got uh, seniors and customs with uh, Casey Costello, uh, and also a number of associates' uh, portfolios as well, such as health and police. And being a very serious, serious police woman of great experience, this will be great. Um, then outside, we've got Mark um, Patterson, who's in agriculture and rural development, and that's a kind of portfolio setting. And another secretary to do with the uh, broadcasting and the... Uh, total means that we've uh, did far better than people ever thought we were going to do. Um, speaking of broadcasting or media, whatever, um, there's been, you know, quite a bit made of some of your comments. Um, are you going to be seriously looking at this whole area? Well, they've made things of my comments because I'm not accepting their approach. And that is the government has changed. And instead of uh, thinking they're going to gaslight some of us, and have got you moments, 
they should accept that they failed to get us in the first place because they haven't got in to get us on. And the second thing is that the public's entitled to an expression of a change government's manifesto um, commitments as agreed in a coalition agreement going forward. It's called democracy. And so to keep on presenting parts of the campaign as being the current position when the public voice and have already voted on it is just plain wrong. And we're out there in the next three years. We've got to make sure that these policies gain support and are positive for this country. That's our obligation. But to have a few overmighty subjects in the form of the media telling us what we can and shouldn't be doing is not in a democracy what we should be having. And I said to the journalists today, look, the fourth estate is critical to democracy. When they're neutral, independent, tell both sides of the story. But stop this approach that you've got now. But somehow suggest you can't accept the election result. Okay, it'll be interesting to see if they realise things have actually changed. In terms of what you had over the line as part of this coalition agreement, um, all all the all the things our audience would say are common sense. So, was it a battle to get all of those or some of those over the line? And and if so, should it have been? What do you reckon? Um, when you say a battle, I, it doesn't matter whether it sort of whether it was a battle. The question was, <laughs> did we win the battle? And the answer is yeah. yes. Well, I mean, but if they're pushing back unreasonably against common sense, you kind of want to know, you know. Well, yes, but you can see what's happened here. When we had asked for the COVID inquiry, it was so that we would act to ensure we knew about all aspects of it, so that in the future, if such a thing arose, we'd be better informed and get it right. It's the famous Roosevelt statement made all those years ago when he said, we won't always get it right, but we'll keep on trying. Well, we had a government that said they were right and they were wrong in many cases. And you had massive lockdowns like in the uh, case where Auckland only had one case and lockdown for months. And the loss of billions of dollars is huge. And there's got to be a, an answer for that as to why that happened and whether it was the right decision to make. Because if you don't want a proper inquiry with the comprehensive terms of reference, it suggests you don't want the public to know the truth. And after all, the public paid for this. They were the taxpayers that suffered from it. And so that's all we've asked for. Then when it comes to the therapeutic products legislation uh, being repealed, well, it's plain common sense, for goodness sake. We've come all this way uh, in this country for decades and decades, and all of a sudden, international influences just took over the last... Labour Party when they're by themselves and they went and bought a uh, legislation damaging to New Zealand therapeutic product producers and it was just so wrong. And that's going to be gone very, very quickly. Another comment that comes up quite a bit um, through our communications with our audience, Marsden Point. So we can expect that to be cranking again sometime in the future and also a fuel a fuel security plan to go with that. Was that we a hard want, one to get? We want a full investigation to what happened to Mars and Point because the reality is that with our supply lines being threatened, if they are threatened, and we having no under, you know, a submerged pipeline, if any uh, shipping supply was a threat to us, this country would be in very, very dire straits very, very quickly. Mars and Point, uh, instead, if it was operating and using New Zealand uh, raw fuel could still keep our essential industries growing, probably 15% of the 
critical parts of our economy going. Yep. And that's what we we're talking about. So we built this utility and we um, have allowed, it seems, a foreign interest to close it down. Now, it's not nationalisation to say, excuse me, this is not going to happen to our country. We're going to have to look at our national interests first. And so what we ask for is a full-scale investigation as to whether we can keep it going. And we've highlighted as a party the instability of our fuel supply, which is rather regrettable when you realise that we are one of the most energy-developed nations in the world. How do we get into the pilot state where we, in our current circumstance, could see firefighting, the ambulances, hospitals and everything closing down almost overnight because of a, a fuel stoppage? Now, it's not good policy, it's not good planning, and we just want a long-term security. Um, there was a headline yesterday that um, Christopher Luxon was saying um, he may, I don't know if it was the exact quote, he may be inheriting a recession. And there's, what, like a, a budget coming up shortly. So what sort of state do you think we're in economically? Well, it's the same state we campaigned on when we were out there saying that this country is in a financial crisis a cost of living crisis in particular and we've got to do a whole lot about the um, not just the cost of living uh, but inflation itself but the real issues of wealth creation and becoming a better country uh, enabling us to pay for the kind of first world health education uh, and other systems that this country needs uh, in that sense, when you hear the IMF predict that next year we could be at 159 in the world of the 160 countries they measured in terms of GDP growth, we are in a very, very regrettable situation. You remember what happened in the campaign? The IMF had said that we were at 0.8, that's less than 1% in GDP growth. And then the latest figures came out from Treasury saying we're at 0.9. Whereupon a whole lot of government sympathisers or labour sympathisers said, well, that's an improvement. Going from 0.8 to 0.9, under 1%? No, we need to be getting back to the growth rates that will sustain employment when people are leaving schools, grow our health and our education system, and cost of living uh, diminishing in a way that's been so painful for lots of New Zealanders now. And really, it never got the kind of coverage in the campaign it should have got, the true state of our economy. So when you say, are we in a recession? Well, a recession is two negative terms, a quarter, so to speak. Yep. <laughs> we may not be there, but it feels like it, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, if it walks like one, talks like one, et cetera, et cetera. The inclusion of a public interest test for WHO, UN programs, again, uh, well received by our audience. What, what, what tipped you over into really going hard there, because th that was, again, not very widely known what was ranging up there. Well, I saw it, and within two days we reacted to it on our social pages because it had this clear message that no longer will you be in charge as a country of sovereign decision-making critical to your people. It was that blunt, really. So all of a sudden, instead of the a decision, you know, an epidemic or pandemic being made by New Zealand, It'll be made by an international body, the WHO and World Health Regulation changes. When I saw that, I thought, this is not right. And we need to make it very, very clear that whilst we believe in cooperating with international bodies, 
we are not going to have them determine with finality what our domestic politics and policies are. And uh, the other, I know I'm jumping a, a bit over here in the order, but uh, mandates. Mandates over, that means what? Nurses, teachers, whoever. Doctors, a whole lot, yes. All, that's all like over, rover. Yes, it is. Um, what sort of reaction have you had about that? You must have heard something. Well, typically someone has said, but the mandates have already gone. The answer is no, they haven't. Why do people that want to go out and lie to New Zealanders about mandates when you know that a lot of the institutions are carrying them on regardless with the previous government's sanctions, so to speak? That's the difference. And I wish that uh, in this age of computerization, when people have the chance to find out the truth much more quickly than the old days when you're waiting for the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the the horse post, so to speak. Yeah, <laughs> they would understand with instantly what the truth is. But you keep on seeing it. You see it on social media. And you think, why do people think they can persuade others with a lie? The reality is, there were still mandates being enforced, and people needed to have them not to know that they were being stopped. A couple of final questions. Um, as these are reversed, it's good news to many. Though, um, I guess in the bigger cultural space how do we create do you think a new sense of national pride and cohesion nz being more of a united nation proud of its you know where we've come from our heritage and we do have a unique place in the world we seem to have kind of lost that lost our mojo in a way how, how do you see that coming back together well the first thing we've got to do is ensure that new zealanders understand that constitutionally we're all equal regardless of our DNA, regardless of our gender, regardless of our background. If you've arrived here yesterday and are here legally because you're a legal immigrant, you're entitled to be here, then you have the same rights as everybody else. That's how equality works. And you can't have two standards of citizenship. This had all crept in after 2020, but it was underway before that with um, naive politicians making decisions, thinking that they were only aspirational and wouldn't amount to nothing. And all of a sudden, people were using them as a foundation to bring an inequality to the extent that one person in politics recently said, of course, that Māori had superior DNA to everybody else. Now, somebody with a serious Māori background and half Scots, I've just found that so abysmal and an abomination to what equality looks like. Because in the end, like so many New Zealanders, I'm proud of whatever my background might be. And in this case, we're in a country trying to build a great land called New Zealand for New Zealanders, where to our background does matter. What matters is our contribution as New Zealanders, as a citizen of a country called New Zealand. And it's understanding what a citizen means. It's a responsibility to family. It's a responsibility to community, to village or hamlet or wherever you might live. And above all, it's a responsibility to the country. We've got to get back some basic things that have fallen by the wayside and a behavioural stand, a set of standards which has just gone so long wrong of late. It's, there were pastimes when they were behaving that way. Do you remember the flower power era? I can. And everybody, was in, yep. and everybody was a heavy back and letting it all hang out, right? <laughs> and deciding that the world was hopeless, we're going to go off and uh, and, and live our own life in, in a... In a, uh, in a sort of a collective or something like that. It was all happening a long time ago. But in the end, you look around the, country, the world and you see those countries who are doing extraordinarily well economically and doing far better for their country in terms of health and education, uh, where their, their capitalism has a human face. 
that's what we're going to get to. And let me say, the people who have got a different vision have got to point to a country where, where their vision works. Because the country I'm talking to, with all its faults, was a country called New Zealand that took itself to number one in terms of egalitarian sharing in the world, uh, where the register for unemployed was 29 people. Yeah. That's our former past. And it's not all fashion or nostalgic to say the country that did that can do it again. It's like yeah. the All Blacks went the All Blacks went to France this year and they won the World Cup. They got treated by a referee, a mistake or decision, <laughs> went to the board, but they won the World Cup. And whatever anybody says, I think that uh, they did a fantastic job. They showed that they, under pressure, could be as good as any All Black team ever was. And so could our country now. It should be a model for us. Um, Tuku, Tuku Roy Rangi Morgan was on TV yesterday. I didn't see it, but I've seen it reported saying that um, this agreement burns down the fuddy, burns it down. That's what he said. Well, he's talking humbug. And with the greatest respect, he has to tell us on what foundation was his fuddy made. Because it's not the fuddy that many of us come from. And it's not the fuddy that many of us worked for. And many of us have been out in the world working for Maori in major land cases and the major issues far more than he ever did. Not for ourselves, but for our people. But we always saw ourselves as part of the New Zealand cohort, so to speak, or like, dare I say, Dan Finna Cooper, who said that we signed the Treaty of Waitangi so we could be equal. And to Tukarangi Morgan, my answer would be, you tell me that you know more than her? No, you don't. You tell me you know more than Sapran uh, Ngata or the famous Maui Sabari Pomeroy or Sir Peter Buck or the famous former Deputy Prime Minister Carol Long before my time? Maori way back then, they know far more than you and your narrative of what the Waitangi um, deal or arrangement looks like is a concoction of self-interest. And we, and that's the mass majority of Maori, don't go along with it. Guess why I know that? Well, they ain't on the Maori roll, are they? Hmm. And they're not voting for the party Maori, are they? If the party Maori is only getting 25 to 3% of the vote and 80% of the country are Maori, on the roll, so to speak, according to their description, then there's something wrong with their argument. Um, also, another question quickly before we end, shifting national thinking to a longer-range strategic kind of planning, because it seems that a lot of what people set out to do in politics doesn't really survive the political cycle. What can we do there? Uh, there's talk of, what, a referendum on or, or some kind of gauging people's opinion on a four-year term, would that make a difference? Well, I've long been advocating and I campaigned on a, for a four-year term on the basis that parliamentarians should get together, pass a, a piece of legislation, but make it subject to referendum. That was a speech I made and I made it a long time ago. And luckily, some other people are, are saying it now. Uh, but not just that, though. We've got to agree that some things are across the divide of politics. Ireland is often regarded as a country where they are pretty quick to have a Donnybrook, so to speak. And yet they got together in the 80s and built across the political divide the plan for the Irish tiger, the Irish uh, success story. And they have been a mild success story. And there's things we can learn from them uh, that say, okay, let's 
say that in some things that are important to New Zealand, we can all agree. Like, for example, long-term savings and investing in your own country. So, yes, you're quite right. It's an aspiration. Perhaps a four-year term will give us a better chance in the future for whatever political party to get more of those things into place. But um, every three years is a bit too short. Okay, and, and ending up, um, you're Deputy Prime Minister for half the term. Is that is that all right? I mean... <laughs> well, you know, I mean, again, when it was announced, you had all these media people talking about sharing the role and more co-governance and all that sort of stuff. And I thought to myself, come on, people, don't make out what's happening is not happening. It came down to who would start the job first, and I got it. The, the job as uh, Deputy Prime Minister now. And uh, the... Um, other contenders, David Seymour will be in the second half of the term. But we're not co-sharing the job. We're doing one job first and then replacing it with another person in the second part of the term. That's it. Not yeah. complicated. Okay, and and you're back as foreign minister. And yes. uh, um, some people have said, well, that's going to take you out of the country for, for quite a bit of time and and maybe that that causes an issue. I don't know if it does or not. No, but are, are you look, look? That's the kind of thing they say. Look, when I was foreign minister before, and I have been twice before, we used to travel at night. Why? So it wouldn't waste time. And yes, you go to the country, but you're back in the country a lot as well because that's the speed of travel, and we're not yeah. there for yeah. a long time. And uh, I can tell you, one of the most um, memorable comments I have one time with a group of us overseas from my team and. This person said, "Well, there goes another. There goes another city we never saw because you're <laughs> off the plane, airport, into the meeting, out the door, out the other side. No, so changes to changes to straight into the meeting and then back on the plane for the next place. That's the nature of it. But this travel has been neglected in the last three years, and there's been a huge vacuums, and we've got to do a whole lot of work to get it right. Now, I know foreign affairs is not popular with in terms of the voters." But POTUS need to understand that our place in the world in so many respects in terms of our economic future is critical and we've got to put efforts and maybe major work into it to get the outcome we might want. So other countries are going to notice a change in New Zealand's foreign policy? Uh, Definitely, yes. um, Representation. I say that because we're going to put the effort in that has there's has been required. The media all know that the previous incumbent barely travelled. And we're a country north of the Penguins, all the distance away from our markets, and uh, you have Ireland and Singapore, two similar-sized population countries, with two and a half more times of foreign affairs and trade people in the field. And they're doing a whole lot better than us. What's What's the takeaway from that? Well, if we want to get the economic outcome we want, we have to put far more time and effort in the field internationally. That's what my message is to my to New Zealand people. Okay, so you're back in the building. That's happened a few times. It, it must be quite quite a feeling, sort of making comeback after comeback, <laughs> <laughs> multiple well, comebacks. Um, how shall I put it? You can have a thousand emotions, but one of them is the. Uh, <laughs> At the set, a, a wry sense of humour, the look of shock of the media on election night when they realised that that which they had in the main had written off, it had not happened. We'd come back and all the way in three years flat. I have to tell you, remember though, that was um, April of 2020, 
when the serious fraud office made allegations that were absolutely false against New Zealand First, and in two major court preparations, we knocked them and we smashed them. But it didn't help us, didn't save us, because the media had already gone out and told the public what wasn't true. Oh, well, we'll be watching what the media does, uh, that's for sure. Well, it's been good catching up with you. Again, congratulations. Yeah, Paul, Paul, it's a wait for them. I'm not, I'm not preoccupied with them, but I'm saying them one last time. Those lies cost hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars of personal money to yep. beat and defeat, and you don't care about it? Well, it tells me more, not you, but it tells me more about them than it does about their principles and beliefs. And I'm proud of the fact that those who stuck with us know that we've prevailed. That's life yeah. sometimes. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you've got a, a personal uh, dimension to that. But for the rest of us, we are worried that that has been the corrosive factor in, in the free flow of information, which has de been detrimental to our entire yeah. you know country. And, and you know, a lot of us want to see that change and get well, cleaned yes, up. Okay. Nobody's asking for people to agree with us. But all I'm asking for is a thing that a famous singer, Phil Collins, used to sing about both sides of the story. Please yeah. tell the public both sides of the story and let the public be master, because after all, that's what they are. They're the voters, and they are master in a democracy, not people like me. All right, but you're an old veteran, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> now, don't knock the age, like I tell you that. No, I'm not I'm, knocking the age. No, I'm, I'm not. Met, I met Strom Thurmond and went on to be 100 years of age in yep. the U.S. Senate. I met Martyr, who came back as Prime Minister of Malaysia when he's 93, and he's still advising the government, and he's 98 years of age. Um, Warren Buffett's still running one of the greatest funds in the world, and he's 92, 93 years of age. So um, age is, uh, how shall I put it, Paul, the best advice I can give you is don't act your age. <laughs> okay. That's a good place to end. Winston, thanks for coming back on Reality Check Radio. And, Thank you very um, much. And we'll be watching with interest um, to see how things develop for sure. Thank you very much. Cheers, then. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.